Airway Burns Introduction Inhalation injury is a broad term that includes pulmonary exposure to a wide range of chemicals in various forms including smoke, gases, vapors, or fumes. Inhalation injury from smoke exposure is commonly seen in patients exposed to fires. Smoke inhalation is one of the most commonly encountered inhalation injuries and is the primary focus of this information. Information relating to external thermal burns and caustic ingestions will not be discussed. Etiology Smoke inhalation injuries occur when a patient's respiratory system is exposed to direct heat from fire as well as toxic chemicals that are formed from the decomposition of materials during, during combustion. The combustion, the composition of smoke varies with each fire depending upon the materials being burned. The amount of oxygen available up to the fire, the nature of the fire, high oxygen and high temperature fires often do not produce large amounts of smoke. Low oxygen fires are often lower temperature fires and these lower temperatures often give rise to more toxic chemicals such as carbon monoxide. Other common toxic compounds created in smoke are ammonia, carbon dioxide, hydrogen cyanide, aldehydes, sulfur dioxide, and nitrogen dioxide. These different elements give rise to a combination of gases, airborne solids, and liquid vapors that mix with ambient air to create smoke. Inhalation of these components when exposed to smoke causes both upper and, upper and lower respiratory injuries. According to FEMA records, in 2015, there were 380,940 residential fires resulting in 2,565 deaths and 11,475 fire-related injuries in the United States. The number of deaths has not decreased since 2006 and has trended 2% upwards despite a decrease of 9% in fires injuries during the same period. The leading cause of death from fire injuries remains respiratory failure, and smoke inhalation injuries affect one-third of all burn injury victims. Pathophysiology Inhalation injury affects the respiratory system through damage to the airways, including nasal passages, posterior oropharynx, larynx, trachea, and bronchi, or parenchymal damage, alveoli. The location where the damage occurs is complex. Thermal injury often affects only the level of the larynx. Chemical Toxin irritants may cause damage to just the airways, just the alveoli, or both. Specifically, water solubility for gases or vapors and the physical characteristics of the particulates or fumes and aerosols are important for determining the location of the injury. More water-soluble chemicals will often damage the moist mucosa of the upper airway without causing alveolar damage. Examples of highly water-soluble chemicals include ammonia and sulfur dioxide. Chemical toxins that have low water solubility may reach the lung parenchyma without damage to the airways. Damage to the airway tissue causes increased mucus production, edema, denudation of the epithelium, and mucosal ulceration and hemorrhage. Obstruction of airflow is often the effect caused by a tissue edema narrowing the passageways and mucus blood fluid impeding airflow. Pseudomembranes may also form in the trachea or bronchi, causing bronchiolitis, obliterons, and organizing pneumonia. Despite, damage to the lung parenchyma causes both epithelial and endothelial damage, resulting in pulmonary edema and possibly acute respiratory failure syndrome, ARDS, due to widespread alveolar capillary leak. A direct thermal injury is rare past the vocal cords because even superheated air is quickly cooled by the nasopharynx and oropharynx prior to causing lower respiratory tract damage. Most lower respiratory tract injury is from smoke particles and the chemicals that they carry. Histopathology 
The histopathology of inhalation parenchymal injury is diffuse alveolar damage, diffuse edema with epithelial necrosis and cell sloughing. After this initial phase, hyaline membrane formation occurs. Finally, diffuse alveolar damage may organize, leading to the proliferation of type 2 pneumocytes with, re with resorption of the hyaline membrane and exudites and fibroblast proliferation. The long-term effects of diffuse alveolar damage include both recovery and permanent interstitial fibrosis. Many inhaled chemicals contain toxins that cause diffuse alveolar damage. History and physical. A high index of suspicionism is important for all clinicians to have when evaluating patients for inhalation injury. It is important to elucidate whether the exposure was smokes, flames, or possible chemicals, both industrial and household. Duration of exposure, the, the location of exposure, as if it was an enclosed space, or any loss of consciousness are all important as well. Patients may be unconscious at presentation and interviewing. First responders, rescuers may be required. Duration of the exposure is often greater for pediatrics and elderly patients, as often they will have longer exposure due to disorientation or mobility issues. Children may often hide from smoke or fires, thus increasing time exposed. Pediatric patients may have increased minute volume or minute ventilation with a higher respiratory rate when compared to adults, thus increasing the amount of exposure. History taking should be complete and thorough. Burned patients may have extensive external injuries, but smoke inhalation may affect those with no outward signs or burns. Patients suffering from smoke inhalation may have symptoms of burning sensation in the nose, throat, which is often caused by irritant and chemical toxin. A cough with increased sputum production, strider or dyspnea with ronchi or wheezing. Symptoms of odinophagia after smoke exposure should also raise suspicion for a possible inhalation injury. Patients with who have systemic symptoms like headache, delirium, hallucinations, and even and may even be comatose. Many different etiologies may cause changes in mental status, including hypoxia, hypercarbia, asphyxiant, asphyxiant exposure, carbon monoxide, hydrogen cyanide. In cases where the history is limited, some physical examination findings may cue the examiner into possible inhalation injury. Physical examination should include looking for facial burns such as loss of facial and intranasal hair as well as carbonaceous material or soot in the mouth or sputum. There may be accessory muscle uses, tachypnea, cyanosis, strider, and ronchi wells, rails, wheezing. Finding of strider or upper respiratory turbulence noise are often a sign of impending airway compromise and prompt intubation should be strongly considered. A delay in the onset of symptoms is not uncommon and clinicians should educate patients on the possibility of delayed symptom onset post-exposure. The delayed symptoms may occur in the lower respiratory airways as is caused by chemical toxin exposure, which may bypass the upper airways. For example, nitric oxide is often produced by the burning of certain fabrics or cellulose. It is highly water-soluble and damage onset has been seen up to 20, 72 hours post-exposure. Evaluation. At the hospital, a typical workup of smoke inhalation may include chest image, imaging, complete blood count, pulse oximetry, arterial blood gas, carboxyhemoglobin level, cyanide level, often not readily available, therefore limited use in acute setting, pulmonary function testing, bronchoscopy, and, and direct laryngoscopy. Treatment or management. Limiting exposure and removing the patient from the exposure area, such as in a house fire, 
or occupational exposure and maintaining a secure airway are paramount. Airway protection should include considering early and preemptive intubation for patients with inhalation injury. Airway edema may occur suddenly as the edema worsens, and often the upper airways develop injury and obstruction earliest prior to the parenchymal injury. Treatment as a whole is largely supportive and with specific therapies below. Maintain the secure airway intubation tracheostomy if necessary. Obstruction often results in edema, hemorrhage, and mucosal sloughing and aggressive pulmonary hygiene can manage these secretions. Obstruction may also occur to airway reactivity, for which bronchodilators may, should be used. Beta-2 adrenergic agonists, including albuterol, have been shown in animal studies to improve pulmonary functioning and smoke inhalation injury. Usage of steroids in either inhaled or intravenous form has not been proven to be clinical beneficial in clinical studies. Specific treatments may vary based on other factors as often inhalation injury may present with systemic toxic toxicities, for example, carbon monoxide and cyanide poisoning and smoke inhalation injury. Carbon monoxide treatment includes high oxygen therapy, hyperbaric, tra hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment has been shown to increase the clearance rate of CO from the blood but has limited availability restricts its usage. Most healthcare centers instead use 100% inspired oxygen therapy for treatment. Hydrogen cyanide poisoning is difficult to determine in many cases. Testing results are not readily available. One antidote, hydrocoxabalinum, may be given to patients with high suspicion of cyanide poisoning. It is non-toxic and renally excreted. Side effects do not include redding of the skin and urine. Accurate treatment of possible toxic inhalation injuries is accomplished by identifying the possible compounds inhaled, the duration and relative concentration of exposure, and the water solubility of the toxic inhaled agent. Prognosis. Patients with smoke inhalation injury are at high risk for complication. The majority of fatal burn cases are caused by respiratory failure, either from direct injury or complications such as pneumonia. Severe injuries will often lead to long-term complications such as bronchi, uh, bronchistasis, bronchiolitis, obliterans, and the need for artificial airways. However, many patients will have no long-term sequelae from a single episode of smoke inhalation injury. Complications Most cases of smoke inhalation injury will be mild to moderate in severity. Severity generally correlates with exposure time. More serious injuries occur with longer and more intense exposure. Mild to moderate injury is largely self-limited with patients having no complications. Patient symptoms will often resolve within two to three days. Short-term complications are seen in more severe injuries within four to five days, and most common issue is pneumonia. Acute respiratory distress syndrome and pulmonary edema are also seen in the short term. These patients will demonstrate changes in pulmonary function testing and may require ventilatory support. Complication rates are higher in people with history of underlying lung disease as well as COPD and asthma. Long-term complications from smoke inhalation injury are much less common. They include subglottic stenosis, bronchiostasis, bronchiolitis, obliterans. Patients who have been exposed to carbon monoxide are also known to have long-term neurological complications. Severe brain damage may occur with carbon monoxide poisoning, but it is uncommon. More commonly, patients will describe persistent or delayed neurological symptoms after carbon monoxide poisoning. These symptoms are often subjective but will include depressed mood, poor concentration, and issues with short-term memory. 
neurological sequelae after carbon monoxide exposure seem to be more common in patients who have had a loss of consciousness. Symptoms often develop after one to three weeks after the poisoning. Hyperbaric chamber therapy is being investigated as a possible way for these neurological sequelae, but more research needs to be done in this area. Deterrence and patient education. Prevention of smoke inhalation is achieved through means of fire prevention. Properly functioning fire and smoke alarms are the best means of preventing inhalation injury and fire injuries in general. Smoke detectors are prevalent in the United States. 96% of all households reportedly use smoke detectors. However, over 5 million homes still do not have smoke alarms. In 38% of home fire deaths, no smoke alarms were present. In 21% of home fire deaths, smoke alarms did not sound often because they were int intentionally disconnected or had missing batteries. Pearls and other issues. Smoke inhalation injury occurs from either direct thermal injury, inhalation of irritants to that, da that damaged respiratory tissues, or inhalation of chemicals with systemic effects asphyxiants. The majority of burn victim deaths are from respiratory failure. Smoke inhalation injury greatly increases mortality in burn patients. Longer exposure time is associated with more severe injury. Treatment is largely supportive and, low and a low threshold for intubation is important for patient survival. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy has showed some promise for inhalation injury, including carbon monoxide poisoning, but it's not standard of care due to its limited availability. Primary prevention is the best deterrence of an inhalation injury.